K-Town is a misnomer. It's called K-Town, but it's all Latinos. Yeah, um, so that's called K-Town. I see a lot of little short, dark people. Yeah, here. Puro, Puro Oaxacan. Puro Oaxacan Koreans. <laughs> Hey there, friend. Oh, hello. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. Yeah. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's really nice to be in this space. Very calming, very focusing. Yeah, this is a special space indeed. Tell me about this space because you're the one that procured this space for us, Jimmy. Well, this is the Octavia Lab at none other than Los Angeles Public Library's central branch. And I have been a big fan of the space ever since it launched. It may have launched maybe one and a half, let's say, years before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it is one of these really cool parts of the LA Public Library that I just enjoy sharing with the whole wide world to the best of my ability. And I thought for episode three, or for our next podcast sesh, why don't we check out this hallmark of not just downtown LA, but LA all together and explore some of the resources there. And it hardly gets more resourceful for yours truly than a podcasting studio mm -hmm. all to ourselves for F-R-E-E. -E. F-R-E-E. -E. Free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, I had to remember how to spell free. And yeah. I, mean, I was like, where is he going with that F R free? <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, you know, I don't come to the library enough. And every time I step in, I'm like, this is such an amazing space. And that's kind of true for um, almost any library space. It doesn't have to be as kind of glamorous and iconic as the central library, you know. But all of the libraries are just such a, I don't know, it's, it's a special feeling to step into them. And then, you know, speaking of this being this sort of creative working lab, I think we walked by somebody who had a sewing machine. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely did. We also walked past people who are image editing and preparing posters for printing mm -hmm. because you can also print posters for free. Mm -hmm. You just have to have your file set up, your file ready, and look at me plugging the LAPL yeah, the way that I love to do. Yeah, and I mean, we won't get into this too much. But, uh, it's, it's a very complicated um, and worthy topic in and of itself. But of course, um, a lot of um, folks come here as a refuge. They need a place to sit, to rest, to sleep, to feel safe, you know? So that's also happening uh, concurrently with people who are using it for its more traditional um, uh services. Yeah, and this is also true, just as you said, not only for the central library, but for libraries all together. Yes. And so really, libraries in Los Angeles, and I imagine across the country, they serve so many needs, and 
it's kind of important for me to visit the library or to make a habit of visiting it, somewhat to be in community with that, somewhat mm-hmm. to see the city because you go to the library and you see a family or you go to the library and you see an elder or you go to the library and you see people whose only form of shelter for the next five or six hours will be that library hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And sure. that's the city. That's the city in its sort of embodiment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I also got to thank you for making the track out from our usual hangout <laughs> to LAPL Central. Rarely do these things come together just like that. It takes an effort for us to kind of like branch out mm-hmm. of our habit, of our usual places to be. And I really got to recognize you for it. Oh, well, I mean, I was following your lead, you know, and I think um, that's one of the, I think, highlights and hallmarks of our collaboration is that we're sort of up for stuff. So, um, I mean, yes, it's, I think things like this, it is outside of the regular rhythms of life. And so it feels like a disruption at first, but then, I mean, immediately you walk along the streets of downtown you know, during the day when there's so much commerce and different things happening and you just feel the energy and you're like very uh, refreshed by that. And then, yeah, the library itself. I mean, architecturally, it's really beautiful. Um, The intention and kind of the reverence it has for books and um, for information, you just feel that immediately as you walk in and then you see all the people interacting with it in a really positive way. So it just gives you that energy that you didn't think that you needed but actually you did you know yeah and I love that and I'd love to see labs all over branches throughout the city of LA I'm rooting for that as of today it's here in downtown Los Angeles and that that is so special too because our communities have converged in downtown LA for decades yeah So, you know, for right now, it kind of feels like we're a bit of a nomadic podcasting duo, and that's cool. Um, So another thing that that we have sort of established um, at this early juncture is treats. Yes. Because I feel like both of our cultures, our ancestors, put a high um, reverence in their lives uh, for food, good food, flavorful food. So today you are in charge of the snacks, which we actually can't have because it's the library, but we'll have it afterwards. But we can maybe talk about it a little bit now. Right. And also, just so the library knows, because eventually someone maybe at the library will listen, (laughs) will tune into this very podcast, which I love. Shout out to you for doing that, taking the extra step, Mm -hmm. doing all that esoteric research. Very library-ish of you. But... When you come across this, just know no one asked me not to eat inside of Mm. the lab. Mm -hmm. It's just that after a while of making the rounds at this institution, it's abundantly clear that the library needs to be taken care of. And one way we do that when we have our snacks is to just hold off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so we're only holding off a little bit, but we will be snacking soon. We can assure you that. Even though we can't snack, though, I do have a little something in store for us, and that is a slight, let's say, quiz 
not a quiz per se, but I, it's so funny because I can see you getting ready. <laughs> For my Friday pop quiz. Yeah, because you have yeah. your game face on just very slightly for those of you who can't see. Well, actually, this this one isn't being recorded, but never mind. To be sure... Wait, I, it's not being recorded. It's not being video recorded. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Just testing things Just out. Just talking with you? What? Just having a good time. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for that correction. What we have here are two lovely pieces of what appears to be bread, should be bread. I did stop by 85 Degrees nice. Bakery mm -hmm. to pick these up before we met today. Which and 85 degrees did you go to? There's one right here on Hope Street ah, in downtown Los Angeles. Okay. That's right. That's cool. Yeah, it is really sweet. I appreciate 85 degrees. And I definitely look to be intentional with my selections. I mean, when you walk into 85 degrees, you have a lot of options. But I went with these because I thought, yeah, Nuna and I can both share these. Oh, that's nice get into them a little mm -hmm. bit. But given that we're here at the Octavia Lab first, we're gonna get into a guessing game. Okay. And so Helen has two pieces of pretty hefty bread in front of her. They're a little bit on the bulkier side. And we're gonna start with the one facing me. Okay. Which is a loaf of some sorts for yeah. sure. I'm gonna ask you uh -huh. what you think this loaf is. Um, so, I mean, I have full disclosure, you did, um, show me the receipt. I think it was more because you're like, look how affordable these pieces of bread are. Relatively speaking. But, you know, right, relatively for, um, yes, yes. Depending on your perspective and also your per generational perspective. Love that. We had to say that. Yeah. Um, I, okay. So, so what was I, why did I mention the receipt? So, you know, uh, I, I saw some other words besides the numbers. Um, so I think this is brioche. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. But it doesn't look like brioche to me of like what sort of you in like a, a Western bakery, they wouldn't present brioche like that. So I don't think I would have known otherwise. So that's a total cheat. It is a, it is a little bit of a cheat. But honestly, it's kind of cool that you were able to pick up exactly that reading and memorize it even if only momentarily because you memorized it for just the right moment. Yeah. Right? Like, um, I mean, thank you, but also you're giving me way too much credit, but thank you. I genuinely think it's cool that you glanced at the receipt, mm -hmm. read I, at least one item's name, and got it right on this surprise quiz that you're taking. Wow. I feel like you just gave me an applause for walking across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! You did it! Hey, <laughs> In fairness, you came all the way from the central side to the downtown side. So, yeah, I'm I celebrating mean, you quite a bit today. Okay, as did you. I know. And I, I celebrate you. Yes. We celebrate each other here. Yeah. K-Town is Oaxacan Korean. Yeah. Okay, that's one okay. out of two. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you. Okay. We're yeah, let's hear the crackle of that. Don't be shy. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Going into the... We'll be seeing you again soon, oh, little cool. brioche loaf. Okay, and then now we have one left. This is what the outside of it sounds like as yeah. it handles. And actually, you can pick it up all the way. You can 
maybe even oh, look underneath. A, oh, oh, you know what? Okay, so again, I did see a word that I'm associ- on the receipt that I'm associating with this, but with this, I have to say, even if I didn't see that word, yeah, knowing that it's from 85 degree, yeah, and seeing this color, this is definitely taro related. Yes. So this is marble taro. Okay. Okay. I don't know why it's called marble. Maybe um, it's, maybe that's because it's somewhat in the shape of a marble, but not entirely. I think it's probably marbled inside. Mm. So they did sort of oh. like it. Yes, so it's going to look all swirly inside if it's true to name. Um, that's the extent of my, my bakery knowledge, but that's what I think. And I'm excited about this. Yeah, ditto. Yes. I realize so. now... We may need some napkins for that swirly marble taro. Yeah, well, what we might do is go to the LAPL bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So we'll be getting into those, and we'll be leaving a little bit of a review because that's what we love to do, too. Okay. That's something I love to know that we do. So stay tuned. Okay. But I feel like maybe we're not here to just talk about bread. Not this time, no. I mean, but what I love is that we're meeting every two weeks for this podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're actually here a week removed from one of the, like, wildest weather days Mm -hmm. in recent L.A. memory. And I, of course, am talking about none other than Hurricane Day. Yes, that's right. Which was not a phrase before this past week and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, that is to say that only a few days after you and I met initially, mm. we were going into a weird storm phase for the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. And like, especially, again, given what I've noted to you about my sort of penchant for news and especially like the like stuff that I see on the LA Times in particular. I was looking at all of these forecasts mm-hmm. and I was looking at the city of LA kind of prepping and I was looking at the various people out there who were trying to make sure that folks knew where to go mm-hmm. and how to prepare somewhat for unpredictable weather because even after everything we can sort of gather so much about what the forecast looks like but we cannot guarantee too much Mm -hmm. so i was looking at that and thinking i hope the city is preparing to the best of its ability that's for sure i don't know but we'll see how it goes as with everything little did i anticipate that like that we'd have a hurricane again this wasn't a term beforehand right so like we were all preparing for maybe a, a hurricane, mm-hmm. like, through L.A. Ultimately, it, it would not, like, be this massive hurricane that, that tore everything up the way it happens in Oklahoma or what have you. Yeah. But we would have quite a bit of rain, quite a downpour. And then in addition to that, a little earthquake had to make some noise and get in the room and let everybody know that it still shakes in LA too. And so I was definitely after that day wondering what the rest of life would look like from there on. <laughs> Especially for my friends 
and and my fam. And so I wanted to ask you how you fared on this day and whether it was a thing for your people at all, your parents at all, or not. Well, my parents were out of town, so I don't know how much they knew about it. I think, in fact, they might not have known because um, they weren't checking the news or anything. And then I think either my siblings or I must have texted them to give them a heads up. And they're like, um, you know, their their um, cellular connection was kind of spotty. So oh. that was part of the reason, too, why they didn't have access to news. Um, so they, you know, they were like blissfully unaware of that. And then um, like there were people around me who seemed kind of anxiety ridden about it and they were doing all this prep there was like talk of getting generators and stuff and um, I talked to my sister and she's like it's not a big deal I mean she's like I think other people are going to get affected I think unhoused folks are like you know they a lot of them didn't even know right that that was going to happen I mean they knew something was up when it started raining you know and so my sister's like I, I mean I'm worried about folks who have limited resources but for people like you and I she's like I'm not I mean it's it's fine you know so I was kind of like in that in-between space of um do I <laughs> go panic shopping at the grocery store like I've heard people are doing or do I just chill out like my sister who's like no big deal um and I, I know that other you know parts of even LA, you know, they were more um, affected. But for me, it was just, I think I uh, I was supposed to go on an art walk and I skipped that because there's a bit of a leakage situation that I needed to keep my eye on. Right. And even that I felt a little bit embarrassed because, um, I mean, I did have to adjust some, kind of mitigate the leak issue, but it was really minor. And um, I, I think the person who I flaked on might have thought I was just being like, nah, I don't want to go, and I'm blaming um, the hurricane. But Right. <laughs> A lot of people got flaked on that day. Yeah. For those urbanites and those skaters and cyclists and rollerbladers and just pedestrians out there, the same day of the earthquake was when Ciclavia was yeah. supposed to go from K-Town mm-hmm. through Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So that, I felt, was like a path designed for us. Mm-hmm. I was definitely looking forward to being there, but Ciclavia flaked on us. So there was a lot of flaking going on yeah. that Sunday. Just I FYI. feel like secretly, or maybe not so secretly, a lot of people were like, oh, yes, a like, quote-unquote legitimate reason to get out, out of this thing, <laughs> whatever like, this thing is. You I know? feel like that does happen anytime it rains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing a tweet once about someone who had a phone call scheduled with somebody else and, like, it was raining in L.A. that day. And so that phone call had to get canceled. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) That makes perfect sense, of course. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) it's raining in Los Angeles where it never does that or at least prior to the last 15 years. Yeah. So everything changes, yeah. including a phone call. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't get on the phone with you. <laughs> everything is changing. You understand. You get it, right? It's raining. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I can't make that phone Right, call. right. So, okay. I'm glad that we survived Hurricane. Yes, Day. we did. I'm glad that you were all good. Mm-hmm. And your mom was okay? Mom was good. Mom couldn't open up shop that day. Uh-huh. And she couldn't go to church either. But it was okay. Like, we we basically just hung in through it together. 
and figured something out the way everybody else did yeah. slash had to. Was there any rain damage on her stand? There was not, and there usually isn't, so I'm okay. really happy to report. So nothing was, like, creeping in under the, I don't know what you call it, the the um, gate or the door. The gutter the, or... Like this... Oh, you know, yeah, just the front yeah. door uh -huh, or anything uh -huh. of that sort. Not that, not that we know of. Yeah. I got to shout out the little wood that makes up my mom's newsstand, which has been at or near the Vermont Santa Monica intersection for probably 21 years now. Yeah. Somehow it's hung in there very sturdily, just like mom. <laughs> she has like gotten stronger with time, if anything. And I would imagine that the same is essentially true of her stand. And so shout out to mom, kind of like letting go of opening up shop that day, because mm -hmm. you know how it is with our parents who are not necessarily work obsessed, but who I think are like just work driven and who are like accustomed to work each day somehow. Mm -hmm. And so for me to see her finally taking a step back and saying, fine, I'll sit this one out and do something else for a minute. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I really want to see more of that. Yeah, of course. And for this talk, I kind of want us to get into the lives of our parents for a little bit, just because, as you and I were saying before we got on, they laid the foundations, and certainly we can acknowledge that. And I think what's also true is getting into that, getting into the particulars, is something that we're able to do as two people who happen to have these intimate ties to a place and to the people of that place, mm -hmm. that is K-Town. And so I want to ask a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about what our parents did when they landed in central LA and like also what they did, even if somewhat inadvertently, when they decided to remain in LA and on this side of town, despite funny weather days, despite an earthquake or two, despite cataclysmic change in one form or another. And yeah, I think I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I'm up for that. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about your mom. You know, she had that newsstand for, you said, 21 years? 21 years uh -huh. now. 21 years now. Yeah, I mean, I want to know what that's like for her, what it's like for you as her son to to observe, you know, the work ethic to, I mean, yeah, I think our parents come from very different places, but they're, they migrated to this, this place, you know, that's familiar to us all. Yeah, and they've like, they have initiated and hung on to their entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. And for mom to do that, for 21 years now tells you all about tenacity in this town yeah. and how these legacy businesses have persisted and it also says quite a bit about the LA that we want to preserve and hang on to as much as we can because when we look at these family shops whether they're furniture stores or grocery stores or a newsstand like in the case of my mom, these are shops that people have had to take care of 
for a myriad of days and nights. And they're shops that, that our family has really found sustenance with, that our family has really found a way to continue trucking on mm-hmm. through this town. And for that to be a shared experience across so many different cultures living in L.A., that to me is, is what keeps the work I do and the stories I'm looking for grounded mm-hmm. and, and steeped in this idea uh, that is the way that working class people continue fighting despite mm-hmm. the city sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's so many components to that, how somebody persists through that, how they create a legacy or don't. Um, you know, yeah, just there's, um, I think there's generational, um, I mean, we talk so much about generational trauma that is definitely a part of it, but there's generational, like, traditions and just different kinds of legacy, you know, that is passed down that, you know, a person who's migrated to a place like L.A. from a different place um, holds on to or practices sometimes, you know. I mean, we have all of these um, newfangled words for um familial life for community tribal life uh, that um, I think generations before weren't thinking about you know those that kind of way of thinking about um, community and family wasn't really established anyway and then even if they were you know like you're saying they're doing the work of um, putting down the roots and and um, establishing all of these fundamental things that have allowed us to thrive so um, you know they're not necessarily thinking of those things in that sort of like sociopolitical like um you know um kind of ways but right right i think it's really interesting as well because when you look at the people who you live with Mm -hmm. your family members in particular the people who have brought and raised you up when you see them conduct their sustenance or livelihood in this particular manner you have already gained insight into one potential path for yourself. Yeah. So that is to say, in seeing your family Mm -hmm. or an elder in your family take on an entrepreneurial path, you have 5% more than someone who's never witnessed something like that. Yeah, I I would say it's more than 5%. Right. And I think that, um, I think it's a bigger percentage, but also... Um, you know, I think some of a lot of it is so um, beyond quantification because it sort of uh, seeps into your marrow in ways that you don't understand. You know, um, I think I'm like 15 years older than you and not that age really matters because everyone sort of progresses in different ways. But like um, I just I just define that to say, you know, in 15 more years of just living and thinking about things, I'm just now kind of coming into certain realizations, like I would say beginning to uh, come to certain realizations about what it means to be my mother and my father's daughter. Um, The specific people, just as they are, you kind of take away all of the external identifiers of who they are in this context, you know, just as like the core of their personalities and genetic makeup right so thinking about that legacy but also um what it means to have absorbed how they work through their own um like that fissure coming here from this other place that tear um you know how to then uh create 
life and community, like all, I, I can just get really granular about all the different ways, but you know, it's, it's hard to compartmentalize how that then informs you as like the adult that now you are, you know? And so it's, it's a really complicated thing. And I think some of those things, I don't think we can ever fully identify. Right. You know? Right. Um, so for you, Jimmy, I'm just curious, um, I, I, do you see a connection between how your mom navigated life here, you know, as, as a young person? Yeah. To, I, you know, to how you are now. Yeah, I think for a moment about mom navigating a system whose language she's not familiar with in large part. And, and there's not only the system, but then the lived built environment. There's coming to this city far bigger than the home she knew back there, far more complex in a variety of ways, but especially because she's not as familiar with the spoken language of the dominant system, especially because she's like a woman mm -hmm. and she has to navigate her own safety at the same time that she looks to care for the safety of her children. And I think about the transitions that she had to make at some point without Google hmm. at her fingertips or without uh, a college education. I think a little bit about how at one point, through the help of her brother in particular, she decides that she's going to make a transition for herself and for her children, even though nothing is guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So that is to say, you want to take a few savings that you've compiled and you want to start a business? Okay, sure thing. But like, you are not guaranteed success in that business by any means you're free to do that it's just that once you do that you're gonna have to take both the risk and reward and also the cost and that's the newspaper stand and that's definitely the stand mm -hmm. yeah that's definitely the stand how old were you when she started transitioning into that venture i was probably just just 11 or 12 mm -hmm. years old did you have any, did she, I don't know, verbalize to you like what that felt like for her, what it entailed to make that big um, investment, take that risk? At that moment, no. Yeah. At that so moment, cool. at that moment, it was an agreement between herself and her brother. Of course. The only one that she had in this country. Yeah. And, and for us, what it really meant was, especially like, in terms of lived experience, what it really meant was mom is not taking the bus from our home to downtown LA anymore. Mm -hmm. She now is selling newspapers and bus tokens and a handful of snacks to passerby at that moment in time. And so it's really interesting to think about if it's been 21 years, then it was the early 2000s when she started her business. And the world was undergoing a number of changes, but I don't think anyone, certainly not in our family at that moment, could anticipate just how much change mm -hmm. was in store for the community and for the rest of the world around us. Mm -hmm. And so I 
I take my hat off to all of the entrepreneurial families out in this city who take a risk because they've decided that they want to work for themselves Mm -hmm. and on their own terms, even though there are mountains to climb. Mm -hmm. If not for that spirit, I don't know that I could launch a Jimbo Times or a K-Town is okay or engage in a number of the creative ventures I have. I witnessed someone else do it when the stakes were far higher because I don't have a small family that I'm looking after the way that mom would look after my brother and I. And so I'm driven by that even while I see L.A. in this precarious state and this concerning state because because there's so much to be concerned about and there is so much to continue building upon, including when it comes to the city and the city government's relation to small business owners such as my mom. That is to say, it's been a complicated, sometimes antagonistic relationship Mm. rather than a seamless process. Mm -hmm. And for fruit vendors and other small business owners out there, I can only imagine how much more complicated that relation has been and how complicated it remains. But like they're in this interesting middle point because they're working for themselves but they're also in relation to the city. And then as it was for mom and I, and as it was for your parents and you and your family, changes on the horizon, and you don't know what that'll mean, but you're going to open up the shop anyway and take it all on somehow. Yeah, because, yeah. you know. So when just kind of trying to tie you back into the story because we're talking about lived experience and so much of this we just kind of absorb without really realizing in the moment. So when was your first understanding of this other aspect of your mom's business where she was having to then deal with like systems in place and policies and politicians and all of that? For sure, like my first interaction with mom's stand was when for one reason or another she, she or I decided that I didn't want to be home. And so if I didn't want to be home, but I had to be supervised, <laughs> then the only place where that could work out was at her stand. Uh-huh. So like I had to be there and I had to see what she was going through. At some point, my tío, my uncle probably had to say, okay, you want to see what it's really like on your own out there? Why don't you go help out your mom for a day or so? Okay. Quick little, sure. okay, so in in what your Theo said, that tells me that you were trying to do something. Oh. <laughs> so give a little bit of, uh, give us a little bit of the sauce. Like what what happened where you were trying to make it out on your own or you were, what were you doing? What was the little Right, especially doing? at 10 or 11, yeah. right? Like I think for sure at some point there's the announcement which probably did not come as the biggest surprise to the family, that school wasn't any fun and that like it just kept getting worse and worse. That is the situation at school. And that like maybe it would be cool to figure something else out, whatever that means for a preteen or or tween. Okay, let me understand. So this announcement, you're keeping it so vague and so... Um, uh. <laughs> 
So you're like, I'm done with school. Is that what was going on? I was definitely expressing to my fam at that moment that school was one of my least favorite places on <laughs> earth. Yeah. And that I really sort of sought some kind of alternative. And so that is all to say, I mean, I didn't put it in those terms at that moment. I just said to them, look, like, I want to do my own thing. And if doing my own thing meant putting my headphones on and listening to my favorite album at that moment, it also meant that, like, I should learn a little bit about what it took for me to enjoy an hour and a half or the evening all by myself with a roof over my head in which I just got to chill. I should see what it cost. And so seeing what it cost meant getting out and standing alongside mom at the newsstand and seeing how she earned her living. Okay. Because it's not just that we all got up one day and got to do whatever we pleased. It took some work. So my understanding then is, so you're like 10 or 11. So then your mom had just started her business. Yeah. Right. And then so you're like, school is stupid. I don't want to be there. I just want to hang by myself and do my own thing. Yes. And then your uncle's like, cool, cool. But let me show you what it's going to take for you to do that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like, if you want to do your own thing, here's doing your own thing. Yeah. But also doing your own thing means you're going to have to work to do your own thing. Yeah. Right now you are a tween, so you think that you just get to do your own thing. Yeah. But actually you only get to do your thing because your mom is out there yeah. hustling. Yeah. So so just I, I don't mean to belabor uh, this. but Not at all. So for your the 10, 11-year-old Jimmy, doing your own thing was just kind of like everyone leave the house and I'm just going to chill by myself. Was that the thing or was there something else that you wanted to do? It's interesting because more often than not, it somehow turned into, okay, if you just want to do your own thing, then we're just going to go. Like <laughs> somehow that did end up happening mm -hmm. where like there's a get together or maybe we can all go here together. But because I wasn't into it, they decided, fine, maybe we'll just go on our own. Oh, okay. And and that turned into my having this time and space for myself. Uh-huh. And you're like, finally they're gone. Yeah. And of uh -huh. course you go through this the, you go through the kind of existential thing as a as a child. I mean, I don't know what sort of being on your own may have looked like in your household, mm -hmm. but like if I was on my own for a handful of hours, probably not too long. I did have a range of emotions about it, right? Like when it's first happening, you're kind of excited to <laughs> get get in on time on your own mm -hmm. because you think that you're, or I thought I was such a big deal that like, yeah, I needed that time on my own. And while that may or may not be true, after long enough, this is pre-smartphone age. This is even pre-flip phone age. This is like, they left, and I don't exactly know when they come back, but how can I, like, make it work? Mm -hmm. How can I have something to show for it mm -hmm. at the end of the day? And I guess maybe in an, in an interesting, unintentional way, that was, like, the beginning of my creative mm. career. Like, having reached this time and space on my own, but not without fits 
and and hurdles. Yeah. Or or an argument or two between my family and I about what was cool and what was okay right. and what we could do together and what we couldn't. Yeah. And yeah, it was a fascinating way to both experience that time on my own, but then also have that lead in to seeing what it was like for mom yeah. who wasn't just tuning out with her Walkman or CD player, <laughs> right? But who was like trying to earn yeah. a living for us to pay that month's rent and so on. So then when your Dio said, okay, so you're going to go follow your mom to work and you're going to see what it's like. How did you feel about that? It's funny because I can definitely see myself responding to that with, with that teenager's confidence, right? Or the naivete where you go, you think that's going to challenge me? Like, I'll go ahead. Yeah, I will spend a day with her. Love and it. I'll show you how it goes. And, of course, when I actually arrive, I get there and I see what it takes. Mm -hmm. And I realize that this is not as easy as I may have hoped. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's pretty challenging. Yeah. And it's, it's a newsstand, but it's a public-facing business, as so many are today. Yeah. It's a very public-facing business. It's business on the street. It's business in central Los Angeles. It's right near this traffic-heavy intersection or a place where a lot of people get on and off the bus from, and so we meet a range of people and, and experience a range of things together, including at least one time, I do have to tell you, at least one time, a theft from our stand. While you were there as well? While I was there. Wow, tell me about that. That was really, really hard. Yeah. To to be there alongside my mom oh, and man. to see somebody come up to us, look just like any other customer, uh-huh. only to take what is my mom's property, my mom's belongings, and walk away without a hint of without a hint of sorrow or or with just a complete a complete sense that it was okay. Yeah, to no do remorse. That to us. Yeah, I I looked. I can still, I can still remember looking at that at that man and wondering how he could be so cruel. And also, I can remember understanding that there was very little I could do about it. Mm. And I certainly saw my mom standing up and trying to call that person to accountability. Mm only to not have them do just that. And I remember feeling very powerless and very frustrated. And it told me a little bit about LA mm. and, and being a small business owner in LA mm-hmm. and, and just having to take the loss and move on because that's as much as, as we can do at this moment. Yeah. And I didn't know that it would that it would remain with me, that that memory would remain with me for so long. But it continues to be there with me. And and I will say that, like, as the years went on, and as I got a little older, my my response would also evolve to unpredictable events like mm-hmm. that. My response would evolve, and I would I would eventually, in the ways that I could, stand up for my mom. Yeah. And. And that was something I just knew I had to do. Yeah. You know? So it, it's it's another moment in which 
I don't know how many children, to some extent, get to go to work with their parents and then maybe even, say, learn how to speak truth to power on their behalf. I don't know how many get to do that, but I got to do that at some point, Mm -hmm. and I think that that eventually became something I'd learned how to do consistently. And it was kind of in part informed by that moment, that pivotal moment. Yeah, knowing that like it was ours to take yeah. and it was ours to sort of either fight for or not. It as in uh, autonomy? Or the whole experience, yeah. Like in that moment, we didn't think to call anyone else. We mm. knew We knew that like, if something was gonna, if there was something to do about this, we had to do something mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And it was just that way. And so I, I think I think about that now because that was almost 20 years ago. That was in the early days of her stand yeah. too. It was, really, it was really early. That hasn't happened again. That has gotten much better as time has passed, but a lot of things have changed and progressed yeah since that moment and yeah and so I think now I take an experience like that and I wonder a little bit about how it's a shared experience across LA yeah for small business owners and for the families of those small business owners for the young people who are there too mm-hmm. witnessing mm-hmm. how the city is changing and and moving in this direction that yeah. we have to call attention to and how your parental figure fits into that larger picture how we all do and sometimes it's in very unsettling ways oh yeah yeah oh yeah hey k-town is okay listeners thank you so much for tuning into this episode and do excuse us for the slightly abrupt ending but at this point in our recording we were just about reaching the end of our reservation at the octavia lab And out of respect for that, we just slightly closed this conversation a little sooner than we anticipated to. But do stay tuned because we will be following up on several of the points here. And in our next episode, we'll be hearing more about Helen and her parents' side of K-Town, as well as about Los Angeles as a whole. And if you want a special heads up about that, be certain that you sign up for the newsletter, which is linked in the show notes. And pass this episode along to a friend, if and when time permits, because we would greatly appreciate that. Okay, with this said, we will talk again soon. Thanks, everyone. Kamsamnida. Gracias. And ciao. K-Town is a misnomer. It's called K-Town, but it's all Latinos. Yeah, that's called K-Town. I see a lot of little short, dark people. Yeah, puro, puro Oaxacan. Puro Oaxacan Koreans.